Hi, I'm Libby. And I'm Farron. And this is the tip of the iceberg. And um, in this case, I think he made true to his promise because he did murder her. Welcome. Welcome. To 2019. Yeah, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It is a new year, a new leaf. Yeah, I'm feeling it. A new beginning. I've had New Year's resolutions. It'll probably be the same shitty year that 2018 was. (laughs) You said you don't make New Year's resolutions. I don't. I don't expect anything. (laughs) You just jump in feet first. I just, yeah. I just expect to be in therapy. (laughs) Let the fates decide. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, speaking of 2019, um, we were thinking about what to do with this episode of the podcast, and we had some ideas, but then something better came along. Um, I'll be honest, our most probably avid fan of our podcast is my mom. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> she does. She listens to every episode, yeah. and she sent me this article, and she was like, this might be fun for your podcast. And it's not fun, it's just really sad, but it's really interesting, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, So in this article she sent us, it's from BuzzFeed, so we'll link it Mm -hmm. when when this podcast goes up, but it talks about 10 young women that were killed in 2018 by current or past exes, partners. All girls that were killed before the age of 20. Yeah. Teenage girls. It is sad. Yeah. It is really sad. And we talk a lot about domestic violence, and I think a lot of people think it's like an adult grown-up issue, like that's something that people deal with when they're older, um, 20s and 30s. And the the rates of teen dating violence are are pretty high, and I don't think a lot of people realize no. how much we see that. Yeah, it says here that among like dating high school students, so high school students that are in relationships while they're in school, 12% of them report well 12% of girls I guess report experiencing partner violence yeah and that's people that are talking about it yeah like going to someone saying this is what's happening right which I don't think happens as much either Mm -hmm. people aren't vocal about it yeah no so I think it's good to dive into this yeah about it it says here too that the CDC reports that overall about one in six murder victims are killed by intimate partner um, by an intimate partner and over 40% of female murder victims in the U S are killed by an intimate partner. And we kind of talked about that. We've talked about that before we've mentioned it, mm-hmm. but it's interesting to see how this plays out for teenagers. It's really sad. Yeah, Cause I think people think that teenagers have a certain level of safety mm-hmm. because they think like, well, they're young, they're protected by their parents. Right. They have rules at home. Um, they li- maybe they live at home. So they're not as independent, people think. Um, But, you know, your kids are doing a lot of things that you don't maybe know about and are hanging out with people that you don't really know um, as much as you think you might. Absolutely. um, And I think parents in trying to help their daughters, if they're they're females, we could say for the purposes of this, since these are all girls, I would refer to all the victims as female. Um, a lot of times parents try really hard to end those relationships. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned in training as an advocate is like the worst thing you can do as a parent, if you have a child experiencing teen dating violence is trying to isolate them from their partner because that creates a lot of anger and resentment among the, the, the victim, the, the daughter. Yeah. Right. And it gives him a lot of 
fire to say your mom and dad hate me and your parents are the worst and gives him fuel to isolate her from you. And so that's actually one of the big no-nos in trying to, to help your child to sort out that kind of a violent relationship, which I think is interesting. I think it's interesting for a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm. While you were saying that, I was thinking how we've talked a lot in the past about how, um, when people say, why don't they just leave? Mm-hmm. And the huge barriers there are to leaving mm-hmm. um, a violent relationship. Right. What does that look like for people? And how does that change when you are a teenager and you right. are in high school? Right. Because you go to school with someone, yeah. right? Like when, you can't just not see that person ever again. Yeah. When I do presentations on campus, mm-hmm. I kind of talk about it as a snow globe mm-hmm. in that something terrible can happen to you. And... If you're a grown-up and you live in a big city mm-hmm. or you live in anywhere, really, you can make choices to go to different coffee shops or you can move or you can um, maybe transfer to a different branch of your company mm-hmm. or do whatever to try and avoid either a person that was unsafe or reminders of that incident. Right. But when it happens on campuses and similarly to in high schools, it's kind of like a snow globe effect in that you only have access to what you have access to. So Mm -hmm. you all go eat lunch in the cafeteria. Mm -hmm. And if you're on a college campus, there is like one coffee shop Mm -hmm. or you have to go to a testing center Mm -hmm. or there's one counseling center or whatever that looks like. You can't get away from it. And I think it's really similar in high school too. Yeah, And I think even if the school tries to make accommodations because of Title IX, they still are going to run into these issues where the students are still going to be on the same campus. They may not be in the same class, but they're on the same campus. And so they're seeing each other in the hallway yeah. um, and, and stuff like that at football games. And so it's there's a yeah. lot of hoops and barriers for them. Yeah. Yeah. So another, we're adding another layer of complexity to domestic violence to you today. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. <laughs> but it's important. It is, yeah. Yeah, it's important it to talk really about these girls. So this article, I think, did a really good job, too, with showing examples from a very diverse group of people. So we have diversity in race, we have diversity in socioeconomic status, in locations across the country, in what their relationship looks like. And it just goes to show, I love this article because it shows that there is no cookie cutter violent relationship. Right. Yeah. So we'll post this and you can kind of see they post pictures, which is way more sad than just hearing names because they're all just super cute. Um, So you can kind of see they're, they're all very different. Their stories are different. Beautiful. So sad. Absolutely. Um, So the first, the first one that I wanted to talk about was a a girl, a 16 year old named Jolie Musa. Um, It says that Jolie vanished Um, and her family initially thought she had left home voluntarily when she had vanished, um, January 12th. So they thought she ran away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, however, on the 26th, they found her body, um, off a path in a park covered by leaves and brush. Um, and so quickly after that, they identified her 17 year old boyfriend as a suspect in the case. Um, so he was arrested in August, um, and charged with a juvenile petition for first degree murder. Um, and then a judge in November found probable cause to charge him as an adult. So he had turned 18 when he was in jail. Um, and it, her mom says that it appears that Jolie met him in the park after getting a text from him. So it sounds like 
he had been harassing her at school. He had been kicked out of school for harassing Jolie and um, that he tried to like meet up with her to talk probably. Um, and that that's when she met him in this park. Um, and he admitted to strangling her um, after a fight. Mm, okay. So it seems, so, so if I am getting this right, painting the picture, they dated, um, things turned sour and he started harassing her at school and getting up in her face and doing all of this. And so he got kicked out of school and they broke up. Right. 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 Okay. So then they don't talk for a while, but he texts her and is like, Hey, Jolie, Jolie, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Jolie, I got kicked out of school. My life's falling apart. This is all your fault. Like, what's happening? Can we talk about this? So she meets him in the park. Yeah. And that's when stuff goes down. And her mom says, so her mom is the one who said that she thinks that he manipulated her and guilted her into meeting him, which makes sense to me as an advocate because victims are, survivors are not heartless people. And they do oftentimes feel really bad, especially young girls, about getting people into trouble. Like, they don't want to file protection orders. They don't want to call the cops. They don't want to get him in trouble. And so I'm imagining that she probably felt really guilty that he had been kicked out of school. Um, her mom said that she kept saying things like, I ruined his life because he can't come to school anymore. Um, and they had multitudes of conversations explaining that that wasn't her fault. Yeah. Um, it says here that her family has since started a nonprofit called Not a Runaway to help find teenagers who are reported missing but classified as runaways because that's obviously yeah. happened with Jolie. That's cool. So um, that's, I mean, that's neat that they're... How long do you think she was dead before anyone knew? I think she probably died that day. Okay, so not a, not a ton of time. No. And I think statistically, isn't it that, like, if they don't find a missing person in 24 hours, the likelihood of them being alive is pretty low. Yeah. Well, and it says, this is a, I think this is a quote from the group about the Not A Runaway group. It says, um, we were not able to receive one, oh, they're talking about some sort of alert. And they said they weren't able to receive one in a timely manner. And they'll always wonder if the police had taken Jolie's disappearance a little bit more urgently and issued an Amber Alert, would she have been found alive? Yeah. I mean, it says that, you know, the boyfriend admitted that he strangled her during an argument. And so who knows how long they were together. Um, But we do know that, like, a lot of girls that are classified as runaways turn out not to be. And so I think it's worthwhile to make this their mission for sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that's Jolie's very, very sad story. It's Jolie. That's a cool nonprofit though. Not a runaway. Yeah. Very, very, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next on our really sad list is LaShonda Childs. Mm-hmm. Um, she's 17 and she's from Ohio. Um, I want to start maybe with the Facebook post she, she put. Yeah. Yeah. So she posted something on Facebook, um, I guess 10 days before she was murdered. Yeah. And it, she basically said domestic violence is real. She's like, all jokes aside until he got you hiding and dodging bullets. Um, 
oh, like everybody wants somebody crazy until he's got you hiding and dodging bullets. If you see the signs, don't ignore it, y'all. Domestic violence is not just in the movies. Um, he broke several phones, busted windows out, followed me from my house to wherever, bit me several times, threw me into walls, made me walk places with a gun to my back, put all my stuff in a sewer. In a sewer? Whoa. Held me hostage in a house and didn't let me leave. Sat and waited at abandoned houses and watched me. Um, pulled my whole whole sew off, uh, leaving bald spots. Oh, like okay, I gotcha. Like hair, like her hair piece. Yeah, her hair piece, leaving bald spots. He set her hair on fire. Oh, geez, and shot my house up. That and that she says that's not even the half of it. Um. She says, if you see signs, don't ignore it. So that was 10 days before, before she was murdered. Yeah. And the startling thing here is that her boyfriend was set uh, 28. Oh my gosh. She's 17 and he's 28. 11 years older than her. So, um, that reminds me a little bit of, uh, Centoya Brown. A little bit, right? Her boyfriend was much older than her. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, when you think about domestic violence, the, uh, the, one of the whole things is this power piece, right? Mm-hmm. And that's such an easy way to gain power is if someone is older, because if I'm older than someone, I can be like, well, you know, I've lived a lot of life. Yeah. I'm older than you. Yeah. I maybe have a job. Yeah. I have the money. I have the stability. Security. I, I know what's up and you are in high school. Yeah. You don't know what's going on. Super vulnerable. Right. Yeah. So that would be a really, really easy manipulation tool to get that power, you know? It's And so when we talk, too, about why women don't leave, it looks like this, this. young woman had left. Um, she was in a car with some guy, an unidentified man. And then these two, her and this guy, got in an argument with Trindell, her boyfriend, ex-boyfriend. Um, she called 911 and tried to escape, and he fired a gun into the car. Um, and so the man who was with her drove her to the hospital, but she died. Um, Yikes. And she had been very vocal about how afraid she was. Yeah. Yeah. She, she did everything right. She told people, this is happening. I'm afraid... There's even a part where she says she doesn't feel safe in her own house. Yeah. Um, and she did everything right and she left. Like everyone says, why don't you just leave? She did. And she got shot and killed. And he was a psycho about it. Yeah. Because it turns out when you leave someone who only wants control over you, it's not that simple. No. Right? No. So once again, let's stop, let's stop asking why women don't leave crazy, psychotic, abusive men. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Shonda, pretty sad. Very sad. How old was she? She was 17. 17? Yep. She's really sad. Okay. So the next um, woman we're going to talk about is a woman named Karime Sabalza. Um, I think she was from Washington, 18 years old. And she straight up looks just like Kim Kardashian. Yeah, she does. She's a beautiful girl. Um, Like exactly. She's, I think, uh, Colombian. Yeah. Um, She had recently started dating this new guy, new boyfriend. Um, Giovanni Heron is his name. And he lured her into the woods near her home in a Seattle suburb and shot her in the head. 
Um, and he took her car, her purse, and cell phone, and then headed straight for an ATM like a real pro. <laughs> that's how. That's how to you do use it. Her card at an ATM, <laughs> which wow. Um, it says that prosecutors said that she knew she was in danger, and that she had told her friends a few weeks prior that. It, that he had been threatening her and that he told her that she better watch out. So I don't know if they had kind of been having issues, if she had broken up with him, but she did tell her friend that if something happened to her to tell the police, um, that it was him. Um, Oh yeah. And she says, I'm literally so scared for my life. He's so crazy. Yeah. So maybe she dated him briefly and then yeah. was like, no thanks. And he went crazy. Oh, and it says also that this dude, his former girlfriend's family, Sought an order of protection right. against him in 2015. Right. So the family said that he had threatened to kill his girlfriend um, or her family if she left him. Okay. And um, in this case, I think he made true to his promise because he did murder her. He has pleaded not guilty. So, okay. Great. Not sure. Why. How do you plead not guilty if you know. take the ATM you card? Killed, you shot her, and then you took her purse, her her car. Did it say he took her car, her purse, her car, and her phone, and headed to an ATM, straight to an ATM? How did? How does he expect to get away with that? Dumbass. I don't even have fries. <laughs> I just think God. that's so funny that he's like, I didn't do it. No, that wasn't And me. he has a prior order of protection. Right. And the family he's is on record, person. like, yes. in the protection order hearing for the previous thing. They were like, he said he was going to kill her if she left. Right. So this girl leaves. Right. Sounds like it. She ends up dead. He uses her car, her, takes all of her money, and he's like, nah, it's not me. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So... Cool. Cool. The pattern that I'm seeing, too, with a lot of these is these girls being lured yeah. into isolation. And so I think maybe the one thing that we could tell our teenage daughters, if they are trying to... If someone invites you to the woods. Right. If they are trying to d- exit an abusive relationship or be not be with a guy that they think is crazy, I think that's one thing we might tell them. Yeah, except for... That, you know... Except don't, for, don't go anywhere alone with him. Yeah, but LaShonda did it right, and she was well, in a yeah, car LaShonda with did somebody it right. else. LaShonda did it right. But and that didn't these, stop. And it's not that these girls did anything wrong, but I think if we're parents, and so many parents are like, what do I do then? Like, if I'm not supposed to talk bad about him, and I don't want to, like, make her mad at me, because yeah. I'm, you know, I think maybe this is part of, sa- this would be part of safety planning. It doesn't, it's not prevention. Yeah. Prevention and risk reduction are two different things, and we know that. But right. I think part of safety planning with a, t- a victim of teen dating violence would be don't go anywhere alone with him. Yeah, or I know. Any it just, of domestic it just violence. worries me because th- I feel like that's matter. what LaShonda did. Yeah. She stayed it's with just, somebody else. She was in the car with another guy. Yeah. Who I assume she thought would protect her. And, and he couldn't. And I think, you know, if I, I guess if I were to talk to a, a teenage girl and who was a victim of dating violence, that maybe would be part of my safety plan. Yeah. But knowing that safety planning doesn't always work. Yep. Right? Because people are crazy. This just goes to show, like I was saying earlier, there's no cookie cutter. No. Incident of a violent relationship. There's not. Nope. And you can do everything, quote unquote, the right way and yeah. still be victimized. So, you know, it's not, it's not foolproof. Gosh. All right. Brianna. 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 Is just the cutest seventeen-year-old from Indiana. She this made national news. Yeah, I remember hearing about this. I don't at all. Yeah, so when I was remember it? it was recently. 
Um, this was the girl who was pregnant in December. Oh, wait. What? Uh, well, he pled guilty. Or he oh. pled not guilty on December 11th. So this had to have happened in the last few months. Yeah. But she was pregnant, six months pregnant, and she met up. Oh, it, she was six months pregnant in December. Okay. So it did happen really recently. Um, she met up with the father of her child to discuss their options, and he stabbed her in the heart. Oh. And covered her body with a trash bag and left her in a dumpster. And he told the authorities he didn't want a baby, and she waited too long for an abortion, and that he had planned to kill her for a week before going through with it. Um, but then with- pled not guilty? Um, yes. <laughs> and along with stabbing her multiple times, he strangled her with her scarf. So how does he plead not guilty if that's what he, he told, told the cops that he did it and he planned it for a week. Uh huh. So he was charged with both homicide and feticide and pleaded not guilty. Um, and his next hearing is supposed to be this month. Um, and her parents didn't know she was pregnant. It says so, but she was six months pregnant. Yes. She was pretty far along. Um, 17 cheerleader. Yeah. Just the cutest little really. Thing. Yeah. And this made national news. So. Hmm. Um, Poor Brianna. You know, and the, I can't, I, I wish I could name this, like, pull the statistic out of my head, the exact numbers. But m- homicide, women who are pregnant are at very high risk for homicide by an intimate partner. Really? Like, one of the top causes of death for a pregnant woman is intimate partner violence. Lethality goes up a lot when you're pregnant. Why? Um, I think for a multitude of reasons. Obviously, in this case, he didn't want the baby. Yeah. Um, and I think that can be part partly why. Um, but the the I I wish I could find. I might try to while we're podcasting. I might try to find the statistic because it's very high. Well, I know that we've worked with. I don't know since I've been here at least one uh, client whose partner tried to get her to miscarry mm. by being super violent. And yeah, we've seen that. Yeah. And that could be really dangerous for. So, I mean, it checks out what you're saying checks out is what I'm saying, because we've seen that happen. So according to um, the American college of obstetricians and gynecologists, which most gynecologists are part of that. Right. Um, it's a significant public health problem, intimate partner violence that affects millions of women um, and 34,000 women, pregnant women a year are victims of intimate partner violence. Um, oh no, hold on. 324,000 pregnant women are abused each year in the United States. Um, it's been associated with poor pregnancy, weight gain, infection, anemia, tobacco use, stillbirth, pelvic fractures, placental abruption, fetal injuries, preterm delivery, and low birth weight. Um, and the severity of violence may escalate during pregnancy or the postpartum period. Homicide has been reported as a leading cause of maternal mortality, with the majority perpetrated by a current or former intimate partner. Um, yeah, so it's it's pretty startling. Jeez. Yeah. So. Oh, well, her her mom, Nicole, said... She didn't deserve this. Nobody deserves this. Yeah. I would agree. Poor girl. Sweet thing. Gosh. Okay. Next on our, our list is 
Rosara Hernandez from Arizona. Arizona. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, so this one is actually interesting. So it says the last time the family member spoke to Rosara, she need, she told them she was fighting with her boyfriend, who's 21, Joshua, and that she needed a ride. Um, so she, I don't know, she texted her, she called her mom, April, and she said to pick her up at the apartment. Um, it sounds like she lived with him. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like it. She was 18, so. Right. Maybe that worked out. Yeah. So um, so she said she was fighting. She needed a ride. And so when April, her mom, showed up, she called her a bunch of times in. And uh, Rosara did not answer. Mm-hmm. And so April got super worried and kicked in the window of the apartment. So I want to pause right there. I think you have to be in a certain place as a mom. Oh, yeah. If your daughter doesn't come out. Yes. Of the apartment. Yes. To kick in a window. I feel like if I, you know, when I was in high school, if I were had to have called my mom and I would have said, come pick me up. And she called and I just didn't answer. I think she would have been more mad at you. Annoyed. But yeah. she wouldn't be like, <laughs> like kicking the in the windows. Right? right. She would be like, well, maybe her phone's dead. Maybe, maybe she got another ride. Maybe whatever. Right. And it would have been like, this is annoying. Yeah. But her first inclination wouldn't be like. I'm a kick in the window. Right. Like, that's what's going to happen. I called four times. You didn't answer. I'm going to kick in the window. Clearly, her mom was really afraid for her. Right. And I'm sure that there was a lot of backstory um, into this relationship, why her mother would have been so, um, like, aggressively trying to get to her. Right. Yeah. So April kicks in the window of the apartment, mm-hmm. and she says that she pulls the screen off, and she opens the blinds, and she saw her laying there. And she says, I dove through the window and went to hug her and hugged her because I could see it was too late. Yeah, so it sounds like she was deceased. Yeah. Um, They saw obvious signs of blood force trauma and she was pronounced dead at the scene. So on May 8th. Oh, he turned himself in. He turned himself in to Tucson police and was charged with first degree murder. Um, He has pleaded not guilty. He turned himself in and pleaded not guilty. So, so his trial is scheduled to begin on September 10th, 2019. Why did... I don't understand. I'm baffled. I yeah, don't... I don't... I don't know. How... I, I'm trying to think if I see that often here. Like, if I see DV offenders plead not guilty after admitting to law enforcement... I think that so. they did do something? Even if it's not... Obviously nothing, like, as severe as murder, well, but strangulation... I don't or, know if they admit to stuff, though. Have you seen them admit to stuff? Yes. Yeah. I have seen them admit to stuff like it's acceptable. Oh, which makes so much sense when we talked about the batterer personality. Yeah. Because it's a value thing. That's why it's not a mental health thing. It's a value thing. They believe that this is acceptable and it's okay. Yeah. So they can say, they can go and turn themselves in and say, yeah. Like, Well, we had a, I had a, I saw um, a situation one time with a woman who's, ex-husband well they were separated they weren't divorced um she had moved out and she was staying with a friend and he was over at the house like banging on the door screaming and yelling being a psycho out in public and so they call the cops and the cops come and he's like i have every right to do that she's my wife i have every right to be here banging on the door and screaming at her and calling her the c-word on the porch she's my wife and the cop was like no you don't get in the car you're going to jail. <laughs> so I don't know if it's that, like, they think it's justified. Yeah. Uh, I, I have been very fortunate 
um, at SAFE to not have had a client be murdered. Yeah. Knock on wood. Very fortunate. That you know of. I mean. That I know of, yes. But I see with, like, strangulation or battery, um, things like that, I have seen perpetrators who have, like, admitted to it but done so in a way that was, like, it was... It was acceptable because she pissed me off. So maybe they don't feel guilt. So they maybe. plead not guilty. Maybe. They say, this is what happened, but it was in my right, so I'm not really guilty. Right. Interesting. Oh, uh, uh, gosh. So um, April says, too, that she felt like like uh, Rosara was too good for this world. She said she was so trusting. She believed everyone was like her. And no matter how many times I tried to tell her that people have dark hearts, she just doesn't understand. And it's because she doesn't have that in her. And that's why she felt like she was just too good for this world. Yeah. Good person. Gosh, I just can't even imagine being a mom and like kicking in the window and seeing. No, I can't imagine. Seeing that. that. No. That's horrible. It's terrible. Yeah. Gosh, there's a bunch on this list. There are. Honestly. We didn't go over all of them. Um, but there, there are quite a few. Oh, my gosh. I mean, well, we can talk about Jaylin. Jaylin Willie. Yeah, so she was 16, and she's from Maryland. And so this happened just about a month after the Parkland shooting. Um, in Florida, and it sounds like so. She why this is significant is because I mean they're all significant, but she was killed at school in the hallway. Yeah, so her ex boyfriend approached her in the hallway at school and shot her. Um, and so see that's another thing that kind of breaks our rule when we're talking about safety planning and we're saying yeah, don't be alone because she wasn't. She was at school. Right, she was at school in a crowded hallway. Yeah. All indications suggest that the shooting was not a random act of violence. Um, Rollins and the female victim had a prior relationship, which recently ended, is what the police report said. And he was killed by, um, during an exchange of gunfire with law enforcement. So he didn't survive. And he got the gun from his dad. He took his dad's gun. Sounds like she was the oldest of seven siblings who just adored her. Mm -hmm. She loved being with her family. Um, Her cousin, Nina, says she's just the sweetest girl, smart on the swim team, loves babysitting her younger siblings. She just sounds like adorable. All-American, great kid. Yeah. You know, which all these kids are. All these girls. Yeah, you just... People have these assumptions of victims of domestic violence, and they are, like, poor, or they are trashy or whatever some like you know the painted picture of what this looks like or they're involved in bad stuff already or right you know they to a certain extent they could have avoided this like i don't see how no and like jaylen could have avoided safety planning is so difficult yeah with victims of domestic violence because it doesn't matter how much you how like to what extent i think that boy would have killed her no matter what i think he was set out to do that he would have gone to her house i mean I think he had a plan to go did. to school and, he and took murder his dad's her. gun yeah. and murdered her at school. He had he did and I think he did so knowing he would die. I don't think he cared. Because he obviously was exchanging gunfire with police and they shot him. And so safety planning, like I talked about, like I would say when I safety plan with domestic violence survivors, obviously we tell them, like, don't 
meet him by yourself. Or if you do meet up with him, meet him in a public place. Yeah. You know, to have a conversation. Um, but in a lot of cases, it doesn't, I mean, you can do as many safe things as you can do. And if somebody's hell-bent on hurting you, then they're going to be successful at that. This is why... And that's what's so scary. This is why it really gets me so annoyed when people talk about domestic violence and they talk about what are we going to do to help victims, which is really important. Mm -hmm. We need to help victims, right? We need to do safety planning. They need support. They need everything. Mm -hmm. But we never, ever talk about, as a nation, stopping perpetrators of domestic violence. Right. It's all about, like, let's support our domestic violence shelters, which we are. Mm -hmm. So that's really important. But at the same time, if perpetrators aren't stopped, then this is a continuous, continuous cycle. Mm -hmm. I don't understand how there's not more attention. And also, like, why is this list... This list is great. Thanks, Mom. Really good list. But how come this list doesn't feature the perpetrators of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Why are we only looking at victims? Because they're, it's like, it's very sad and I'm glad that their story is being told, but at the same time we are putting this on them mm-hmm. rather than the perpetrators. Yeah. You know what I mean? I wish we had a list of 10 perpetrators who killed their, their partners instead of these 10 young women were allegedly killed by their boyfriends or exes. Yeah. I think maybe it's because the media doesn't want to give any attention to um, perpetrators. And I get my that. suspicion. I get that. Yeah, but I get what you're saying, too. I get that, and I think, like, that's important. I just, I think it's a larger issue of us not putting the blame on perpetrators and not stopping perpetrators rather than focusing on... You know what I mean? Yeah, and well, I, and I, well, and I think that, like, what's exhausting is that I'm these articles are important. Yeah. And I think it's important that we talk about domestic violence. However, I get really tired of all of this like let's talk about these 10 girls who were murdered by their boyfriends and everybody sits there and goes, "Oh, that's too bad." And nobody does a damn thing. Mhm. Like you're saying. Yeah. To stop this from happening. What are we doing in our schools for prevention? How are we educating our children, not not our college students? How are we educating kindergartners about healthy relationships, healthy families, consent, all of those things? What are we doing as a society to prevent these things from happening? Because this, like, oh, it's like we're numb to it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this is so sad. You know, there's a very small number of people who are doing the work, and it's not enough. Like, we can do as much as we can do as our small agency, but we can't do it alone. Yeah. And domestic violence and sexual assault professionals can't, around the country, do this alone. And cops can't do this alone. Right. And prosecutors can't do it alone. And so, what can we do as a society? Well, and I think part of it, too... Collectively. Part of it, too, is... Farron's going to laugh when I say this because I feel like I've said this like five times in the past two weeks because I just watched a movie and it was in the movie. <laughs> She's laughing. But it really, like, yeah, it was really profound to me because I think it's so true. In this movie, it said, if society or a community is presented a problem with no means to fix it, they grow indifferent to the problem. That's true. And I completely agree that with that. I think that's where we are 
2019, that's what's happening. People are indifferent to problems because they see no room to fix it. Mm-hmm. And this is the same thing. Like, people are like, well, that's really sad. That's too bad. And then there's nothing they can do because they don't feel like they have, like, they, they, they don't, don't know, know what, what to, to do. do. I think that the vast majority of people are good and the vast majority mm-hmm. of people agree that these things are horrible. But it's like, well, what do I do about it? I'm just a person in, you know, North Dakota. What am I going to do to stop domestic violence and sexual assault? So that's a good question. What are they going to do for Well, you know, I think what's hard is that if I didn't do my, the work that I do, I don't know what I would do. I wouldn't, I don't think I would know. Yeah. If I weren't, didn't have the education that I have when I graduated from UW. And if I didn't do DVSA work, I wouldn't know what to do. I would be one of these people reading these articles going, Oh my God, what, what is going on? You know? And so I'm not mad at those people. No, because I get it. Me too. I feel like I'd be the same thing, but I think schools and programs like ours, communities need to work together to wrap around children, to provide primary prevention education to kids and parents, parenting classes on, because one of the questions I get all the time is like, how do I, how do I navigate this with my kid? How do I teach my seven-year-old about healthy boundaries? What's appropriate? What's, what's not appropriate? What is he too young to hear? What is she too young to hear or too, you know, what's too advanced for my daughter? And so you know, I think that programs like ours can do a lot, but also we are working with over 350 survivors a year um, on top of like all of this outreach. And it's hard because programs reach capacity. And we are in a really rural place. And we are in a rural so place. So our numbers might be way lower than... Oh, like in Denver? Yeah. It's crazy high. I mean, yeah. thousands of survivors are seeking services a year from these programs. Right. And there are some really awesome outreach programs. Um but around in, the country. in programs like ours, like we have one outreach person and a prevention person, and we're lucky because most people do not have that. But it takes buy-in mm-hmm. from schools, and that takes buy-in from parents. Exactly. Because one of the big things that schools are afraid of is like we're afraid to do prevention work because we're afraid parents are going to get all freaked out about you guys coming and talking to their kids about healthy families. Yep. And the bottom line is, is somebody's got to talk to your kid about healthy families. That's right. And so like... If you're a parent and you think that this is important, then you need to call your school and say, hey, I don't have the tools. I am an accountant or I am a nurse practitioner or whatever. I don't know how to teach my kid about primary prevention, but I want my kid growing up knowing about healthy relationships because somebody needs to do it. Because if the schools start hearing that from parents, they're going to start going, oh, this is wanted. This is needed. And I think it goes even beyond schools. I think like schools are a huge, huge, huge piece because kids are there. Yeah. It catches so many kids. But I think at the root of this, it's that it needs to be talked about. Oh yeah. So whether you are a parent in a school, whether you are a teacher in a school, whether you are like you work in human resources at your business or you coach football or you, um, share a, a, a seat on a bus with somebody that's how things get better is we start talking about dinner this. table. Yeah. And if you're a parent and want to know, how do I open up the conversation with my 12-year-old right. about what she's dealing with at school? Come talk to us. Yeah. 
you know, call safe. I would be happy to talk to you Absolutely. about what I, what my experience has been and what I think you, you know, could, some good talking points could be what we know from going to so many trainings and conferences, you know, because this is good dinner table talk. Yeah, it really is. You know, or if you are, heaven forbid, I hope no, none of you are in this instance or the circumstance, but if you have a child that you feel like is in a relationship that maybe helpful. not is safe yeah. or could you could see turning unsafe, like loop us into that too. Oh, because yeah. like we mentioned before, it's so tricky. Like, what do you do? Do you tell them not to be in that relationship? Right. That makes it worse. Do you safety plan with them? What does that look like? Like we can help you with that. That can too. feel really overwhelming yeah. and you shouldn't have to go through that by yourself. Absolutely. And so like we provide services all the time to secondary victims mm-hmm. of intimate partner violence and sexual assault. Friends, family members who just care and want to help somebody that they love. Because in reality, that's what you are. If you yes. love somebody who is being victimized, you are a secondary victim. Yeah, that's traumatic. Because that impacts you too. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awful to go through. Absolutely it is. And so we are here. If you're not in Laramie, I guarantee you if you call, if you're in Wyoming, I can say, mm-hmm. if you call the Wyoming Coalition Against Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault and you have them connect you with the local program in your area, they will talk to you right. and they will give you resources because it's important. Yeah. Or if you are not from around here and you want to get in touch, like we have no problem if you give us a call, giving you the numbers and the information to yeah. wherever's closer to you. So Or giving you resources that you could go to on your own online. Yeah. Um, We're happy to help because totally. we recognize this is, this is not like – this is a nationwide, worldwide I mean, problem. It's a, it's a world, like, it's a it's a health crisis. Yeah. Gender-based violence. It's a and big deal. We're all in it together, kind of. Oh, yeah. I mean, so. it affects all of us. So if you do want to reach out to Safe Project, our 24-hour hotline is 307-745-3556. And that's just our number. There are many, many other numbers yeah. to look up, but we are always available 24 hours a day if you are in a scary unsafe situation or you know someone yeah, who if is you're a teen and you need to talk mm-hmm. or you, you worry you worry about somebody else who's in that mm-hmm. your friend we're we're here for you totally absolutely always well well here's to a 2019 with less hopefully deaths. it's better yeah hopefully it's better i think so. hopefully change will come Eventually, it's got to, right? Yeah. If we keep Holy working cow. this hard. Yeah. It's got to. It's got to happen. Got to happen. Okay. Till next time. On that note. Uh, Bye. Goodbye.